here. We're starting a new series this week called Divided. Um, the world we live in, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like uh, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of things that divide us, but it feels to me a lot of times like it's just getting worse all the time and we're getting more and more divided. And instead of coming together, it seems like everything going on in our world uh, feels like it's pushing us further apart. And so um, I thought I'd look at, we, we thought we'd look at um, as a team as we came up with uh, this uh, series at God's plan in the world. See, God has a plan to bring a divided world together. Um, God didn't create us to all be uh, at odds and divided and separated. He really created us uh, to be connected. And so um, the only way we're going to work against what's going on in our world is to understand what the scriptures say and what, what God has to say about his plan. And as we get on board with his plan, then we're going to see, um, we're going to see things change. And so um, God's plan to bring a divided world together is found in and through the person of Jesus. Jesus came to the earth, God in the flesh. He took on human body, lived among us, um, showed us who God is, told us about what God expects from us, and really helped us connect to God in a way that the human race never had before. And it is in and through him and his plan on the earth that we find how to uh, discover unity in the midst of diversity. You know, um, this year we're focused on being the church. Our fall campaign was called Be the Church. And Jesus established the church. And the church is meant to be the movement of God on earth. The movement of God where God is reflected in and through those who are a part of it. And the way you get a part of the church is you put your trust in Jesus. You know, it's by faith in God. Romans says the just will live by faith, right? And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith. And so we discover that uh, the Jewish people thought they had the way to faith, right? And it was through keeping the law by being born as a child of Abraham. And yet in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, helps us understand that it never has been about that. That the way to access God and the way to come into a relationship with God and experience God's forgiveness has always been through faith. And that's why we have in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, we have uh, individuals like Rahab listed there. Rahab was a Gentile. She was a prostitute. And yet she put her faith in God. And because of that, she is listed among the giants of the faith. And so we realize that it's really by faith that we enter a relationship with God. We put our trust in the work of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead as we celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter. And that is in trusting in him that we find forgiveness, that we find grace and mercy. And the thing that happens when we put our trust in Jesus is that he automatically, right? Automatically, doesn't ask for our permission. <laughs> he connects us to the rest of his followers around the world, right? But he asks us and expects us to connect to a local expression of the body of Christ called the church. And so we, uh, we join a church or we get, um, become a part of a church and one of the things we discover is that God's plan for the church is that we would develop a connection and a relationship that's very strong, very deep, and it provides a lot for us 
as we follow Jesus. It is impossible to grow as a Christian, right? To grow to maturity without being around other Christians, other people following Jesus. It's in that context that we grow. And so um, as we look at this series divided this Sunday, we want to start off this series with a focus on the fact that when we join, uh, when we trust in Jesus, we become a part of the church and really we become a part of each other. There's a deep connection and bond that God wants to build among us. Yet we struggle with, uh, with conflict and division and, and all kinds of issues. It's a constant issue. It's a human problem. We certainly have it in our churches. We struggle with it in our, in our community and in our society at large. And so one of the reasons we know that we struggle with division and with things that separate us rather than being drawn together is that um, we have a sin nature that we continue to battle with. We struggle with a sin nature. We struggle with selfishness and with pride and issues related to sin. And so it is only as we mature in Christ and grow closer to him, become more like Jesus, that we gain victory over those things and we are drawn and pulled together. Seems like no matter how hard we try to stop it from happening, keep it from happening, conflict just always happens. If we don't go looking for it, it seems like it comes and finds us, right? There's some type of conflict we're always in. And it's kind of been that way um, throughout the history of the human race, as we know. French novelist and playwright Alexander de Moss, in his era, as he was um, working and writing and um, doing his thing, there was a young politician that he got into a disagreement with and they started to uh, grow a feud and it grew and grew and grew um, and escalated. In those days, the way they handled the feud uh, or a difficulty, especially between men, was they would have a duel. Some of you might wish that's still the way we handle things. <laughs> it's not. We're civilized now. Um, but back then, right, they, they got pistols, right? And they shot at each other and uh, tried to kill each other. That's the way they handled the feud. So, wow. So anyway, um, the problem in this particular case is that Damas and uh, his opponent, this young politician, they were both expert marksmen. Most people that got into feuds and got into these pistol battles were not very good with them. And so a lot of times nobody even got hurt or shot. They just went through the process. But in this case, I guess because they were both so good at it, they decided to change the, the way in which they go about it. They decided they would draw straws. Okay, and so the person with the short straw, rather than having a duel, they'd have to shoot themselves. And so that's how they're going to deal with it. I don't know. But anyway, um, here they go. Dumas, of course, draws the short straw. He's got to shoot himself. So he takes his pistol, goes off into a room by himself. And everybody waits, right, for the, the, the sound. It's going to end his career, end his life. I mean, shooting yourself, there's no way you're going to come out alive. And so they waited, waited. Finally, the shot went off. And they rushed to the door, opened the door. And there was Dumas standing with a smoking pistol in his hand. He said, gentlemen, a terrible thing happened. Strangest thing. I missed. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, a conflict finds us even when we don't go looking for it. And, and we've got these odd ways of dealing with it. throughout history. We try to figure it out. How do we figure out? How do we get along? How do we make things work in a culture, in a world that is divided? You know, Jesus' plan really does work. The church really does work. But as we've been focused on this year, we've been focused on how to be the church. We know that it's not easy. We have kind of this mantra that we've been saying throughout the year that we want to be healthy, 
unified, firing all cylinders. We want to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. And yet we struggle. We struggle with our own pride and selfishness and self-centeredness. I do and you do. And so this is our battle. We did learn from 2020, if nothing else, we learned that we're not, to me- uh, we're not meant to go through this life alone. We're not meant to go through it in isolation. We need other people. In fact, it's true that God created us for community. It is only through relationships with others, like I said, that we really can flourish in this life. But how do we overcome our struggles, our issues with selfishness, self-centeredness, right? Pride and sin and all the things that make it difficult for me to get along with others. Well, Jesus, in establishing his church, he gave his disciples some very clear direction. And it was based on his example, and it was very uh, direct. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says these famous words, speaking to his disciples. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm not giving you a suggestion, right? an idea. Gee, I hope you would take this and run with it. No, it's a commandment. You have to do this. He says, here's the new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, he went on to say, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And so the command that Jesus gives is to love. We learn from studying love in the Bible, that love in the Bible has an altogether different definition than love in our language and culture. We define love as typically good feelings, and there's feelings associated with love in almost every definition. And yet in the Bible, the word love is really a verb, and it's associated with actions that we show to others. And so we learn from Jesus that it's not an option, it's not something that we can do if we feel like it, but really we're commanded to love each other. This phrase, love one another, is found like 16 times, some 16 times in the New Testament. And it's very important. Jesus, when asked to sum up the law, remember, he answered to love God and to love people. It's at the core of what God expects of us, what he asks and commands us to do, following the salvation that he gives us so freely, the forgiveness he offers us, he says, now this is what I expect of you. You're going to need to grow, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see in the church um, uh, this desire or this uh, idea of loving one another and this connection that's supposed to grow between us goes even deeper than we could imagine. This unity, um, this connection that we see that God wants us to have with each other is really demonstrated, exemplified for us in God himself. You've probably heard and know that uh, within the scriptures and the Bible, when we learn about God who created all things, in Genesis, we hear God talked about as the Godhead and God says, let us make man in our own image. And so we find there's some plurality, even in the idea that there's uh, only one God, monotheistic. And so we learn to discover that we have this triune God, that though God is one, he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We try to understand how how does that work? Three and one, that doesn't work. That's not how math works, right? And so we go, I don't understand this. And so we try to explain it. Say, well, it's like an apple. You know, an apple has a skin and then it has meat and then it has a core, three parts of the apple, but it's one apple. 
Or maybe it's like an egg. You know, there's a shell and there's a yolk and there's a white of the egg, three parts of the egg, but it's one egg. But none of those really work because we don't have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three parts of God, but they all make one God. No, they're all distinct persons, right? They all act as God. They have the same power, the same character, and yet they work as one. They are one. And so we have to wrestle with this idea of unity and harmony and love that is altogether different than anything we can really imagine or think of or conceive of. And so we wrestle with it and we, we try to delve into the scriptures. And fortunately, the New Testament gives us lots of instructions about how to work together. Um, these passages are kind of called the one another passages. It's what we're going to be focused on throughout this series. A Greek word translated into one another in our New Te- English Bibles is alalon. It occurs some 100 times. 59 of those are direct commandments that are to dictate our behavior towards each other. Most of them are things we're supposed to do to each other, and some of them are things we're not supposed to do to each other. But if we're going to understand how to love each other, as Jesus said, so that the world will be able to tell, we're not just a club, we're not just a group of people together because, you know, we like being together, we're, we're supposed to do something together, but really, God is a part of what we're doing and we're following him. What's required is that we get an idea. We really get an understanding of what this love is all about. What does it mean to be one another and to work with each other? And so we start off with um, the, the, what I want to focus on today, and we'll focus on different themes throughout this series. But the thing that strikes me most about these one another passages and the idea that we are supposed to come together in a unique way in our world, that Jesus said you're to love each other like I loved you, is that God tells us the nature of our connection is really, really strong, really, really intense. It's more than what we're familiar with. The truth is the scriptures teach and indicate that not only are we supposed to go to church together, not only are we all part of the same movement, we all belong to Jesus, but really the truth is that we belong to each other. Romans chapter 12 gives us some insight into this, starting in verse 3. So what it says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, the Apostle Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Don't think you're better than you really are, right? Don't have an inflated sense of yourself. But he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. We have a faith in Jesus and following Jesus helps us to see ourselves as we really are. God helps us to understand the nature of who we are, the reality of who we are. It's been talked about by philosophers and thinkers throughout the human race, you know, to know thyself and understand who you are. It really all begins though with God and his creation of us. And as we study the scriptures, we unpack what the Bible says, we learn more about who we are. And what's supposed to happen in and through that is our overinflated sense of ourselves goes away. Our insecure sense of ourselves goes away. And we have an accurate view. It isn't that we're to think less. And it isn't that we're to think more. In order to get along with each other and have healthy relationships, it's important to have an accurate view of ourselves. Paul, Paul goes on to say, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. 
We're all parts of one body and we all belong to each other. When we become followers of Jesus, as I said, Jesus brings us into a community, into a group of like-minded people who have the same relationship with God. We have put our trust in him. We have, we're following him. And we become a part of a, of a community of people called the church. And this is the connection. This is the relationship. This is the environment in which we are supposed to grow in. My argument is that you can choose to be a Christian. You can say, I believe in Jesus and I'm following, I'm following him. But I'm not going to go be a part of a church. It's full of hypocrites, you know. Those people are mean and nasty. They don't really do what they say. They're not honest. Whatever you want to, accusations you want to make. And I mean, uh, you know, certainly true. Churches are full of people who are sinners. Um, And as Paul said, he was the chief, you know. And so they're certainly full of imperfect people. But what is required, according to Jesus, is that if we're going to grow to become mature, people that are reflecting of God and our characters being changed, that we actually need to be around other imperfect people who are committed to following Jesus, who know that we're sinners saved by grace, that I'm not perfect. I don't think of myself as perfect. I don't think I'm the only one that's got it all together. And I don't think everyone else is is messed up. But I recognize we're all in this together. We're all in the same position and condition, but we're working to grow in maturity. And I've noticed this about myself. It's true of marriage. It's true of life, that my maturity as a follower of Jesus requires that I be around people who not only are not like me, but people that irritate me and bother me. Now, this is none of you, okay? Don't think that I'm thinking of you. Somebody came up after last summer, and oh, so I'm the person that, no, that's not what I'm saying. But listen, for me to grow, I've got to wrestle with my emotional response to people which is to get offended, to be upset, right? Uh, to, to be repulsed. Oh, they're not my kind of person. They don't have that per- they're not the kind of person I uh, jibe with, connect with. We don't have anything in common. You know, I mean, all the stuff that we look for as a human race, how we tend to group up and connect to people. Well, the great thing about the church is Jesus is the one who picked the people that are going to be in the church. And he picks the people that are going to be in the church by those that are going to put their trust in him. So it could be anybody. It could be anybody. He allows anybody in, right? Picks people from all walks of life, uh, socioeconomic levels, right? All kinds of different talents and interest levels and different uh, genders and races, right? Male and female, the New Testament says all this stuff, the diverse group that ends up in the church. And yet because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and our desire to follow him, we begin to mature and grow so that we can not just attend church together, but so that we're part of each other. We have a relationship with each other that is deep and intense. I think typically, as I said, the reason that I am tempted at times and even do at times, I'm repulsed or pushed away or split, divide, uh, in whatever way from other Christians or another person that's following Jesus is because of my lack of spiritual maturity. My lack of willingness to listen to Jesus and be obedient to him rather than follow my emotions and how I'm feeling. That doesn't mean there's never a reason to go to different churches. We have different churches in our area. I don't think that's bad or wrong. Some people do. I think it's 
perfectly fine. I think God works through all that. We have different denominations. There's all kinds of things in our country and in our world. And it doesn't mean that we're not following Jesus, right, uh, to participate in those things. And there's even times where we need to leave a church and go to another one. I'm not saying that there is never a reason for that. But I think what's required in all of this is that we're engaged, not just in being around the people that we like, we feel good, they make us feel good, but we have to be around people different than us, people that we struggle a little bit with in order to grow and mature. I've got to grow to choose, and I've got to be challenged to choose, to obey Jesus over just how I feel. I can't be emotionally driven through this life. Maturity is to struggle through that and to walk in obedience rather than just um, following my feelings. Star Wars, you know, I think it was Obi-Wan Kenobi to say to Luke, Luke, trust your feelings. I made a great movie, <laughs> great line. We all love Star Wars. No, do not trust your feelings. Trust Jesus, right? Trust what the Holy Spirit's telling you. And so we've got to grow in that. That's what maturity means. So the Bible says in here, uh, Romans, it says we're all part of a body. The metaphor is given that we're part of the body of Christ. Different parts, but there's a connection that we're all part of the same thing. And so I want to do an exercise with you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Please play along. Okay. Will you play along? Yes. Okay, so um, just an illustration of this. So go ahead and raise your right hand up in the air like this. Put it up for me. Raise your left hand. Now uh, wave your right hand. Stop it. Raise your left hand. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Are your hands independent of each other? Yes. Can your hands do, uh, can, your, can your hands do whatever they want? In other words, could your Right hand say, you know, I'm going to go to Cheyenne for the day and uh, do some shopping while the rest of your body stays here. No, right? Doesn't work very well. So they're independent, but they're also connected, right? Okay, you can put your hands down. Listen, this really the example that Jesus, or that, that uh, the New Testament gives us is that we're part of the same thing. We're connected with each other. And when we work together and when we have this unity and harmony, then there's amazing things that can get done. And so when our hands will work together, following what our mind and what we want them to do, that's tremendous. The things that can be accomplished is incredible. Some of you can do amazing things, all right? And, and all of us can do things that really are remarkable. But we also know what happens when part of our body decides not to play along. Well, maybe we all don't know that, but as you get older, you start to uh, discover that. It's not great. Okay, and certainly accidents can cause that. Things can cause our body not to function. But really what the scripture is saying is, though you have an independence, I mean, my right hand can do something, my left hand can do a different thing, but we're all connected. There's a connection that's deep. We belong to each other. My right hand belongs to the rest of me, right? And my left hand does too. And so it's important that we understand that connection, the, the essential nature that God has brought us together and he's put us together at this time, at this season in our lives. And there's a purpose in it. And in order to accomplish and realize the purpose, which is our spiritual growth and maturity, that we're to become more like Christ, we need to press into those connections and realize 
that Jesus has brought us together for right now. And so in some ways, we're stuck with each other, right? Turn to the person on your left and say, you're stuck with me. Just an encouraging word for the day. Listen, we're stuck together, but it's good that we're stuck together. Sometimes we need to be stuck together to work through the things that we need to work through to grow. And so it takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes maturity to get along with other people. The truth is that the diversity seen in the church going all the way back to the beginning, it was a very diverse group, that it is, um, it is for unity that we're brought together. And unity doesn't mean uniformity. Seems like in our world, anytime there's a march towards unity, it's a march towards sameness. You know, we all have to think the same, agree on the same things. And that's how it's presented because it's so hard to get people to come together with all the differences that are represented in the world. And yet we are in the scriptures. God created diversity, uniqueness, and that is never downplayed. It's, we're never asked to give that up in order to be unified. We're asked to be unified in and through diversity. And so figuring this out, growing in this, I think one of the challenges is that being around people that I wouldn't necessarily choose to be around, God chose them, right? And so here I am in church with them, and I know churches tend to kind of uh, congregate around people that have some similarities, think the same, you know, whatever. But there's always diversity. There's always differences. And so being around people that are different than me, and at times— might be a little irritated at some of the things they do or say. I might be a little offended. I know we need to work to value each other. We have to work at it. Again, it doesn't just come easy. It doesn't just happen naturally. And in order to value each other, we have to realize the value that each person brings to our church and to our, uh, our community. And, and so there's value in each person that's here and they bring value and they're here because God brought them here. And so how do we understand this? Well, we got to work at it a little bit. And one of the things that always comes into play is when we get into a group of people, we start to measure, well, what's the strata here? You know, who's at the top? What, who's important? Who matters most, right? And we start, to, um, we start to create that in our minds so we can understand where we fit. And the truth is <laughs> that in, um, unlike the world, in the church, there's a whole different way we're supposed to look at it, but we struggle with it. So just to think through this value thing, the way we think about it in our world, sometimes I think we, we get it wrong. I remember back in uh, 1980, there was a presidential election. It was a big deal to me. I was 10 years old, but we studied it in school. Um, it was a big deal in my house. There was this guy running for president. He'd been an actor, right? Been the governor of uh, of state of California. He was an up-and-comer, but everybody loved him, or at least in my world they did. Um, my dad was a good Republican. But anyway... We were excited about this Reagan guy. And, you know, then the election happens and he gets elected. And, oh, it was a big deal. Well, a year later, 1981, in the spring, President, something, you know, traumatic happened. President got shot. John Hinckley Jr., right? And uh, this was a big deal. I remember seeing it on TV, seeing the news, seeing it replayed. And, I mean, what's going to happen? And it was pretty traumatizing. Our, our leader of the country, we don't know if he's going to make it. He's whisked away. Um, and in the hospital for a few weeks, and he's not around, not doing anything. And by all accounts, it probably took him quite a while to really recover. It was an amazing thing that happened. You know, the country continued to move on. The government functioned. Taxes were still collected. You know, um, you know I, I didn't miss a meal. 
I mean, there was gas for the vehicle. Uh, you know, I couldn't tell. I mean, I knew it happened, but nothing in my life was really affected. But contrast that, that even in our community, forget about a big city, but in our community, if those amazing individuals who drive around every week and collect the garbage that we produce, right? If they all decide and all of a sudden decided, you know, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, maybe one week wouldn't be a big deal. Two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, we'd notice pretty quick. Things would start to stink <laughs> and it'd be a mess. So I wonder at times if we don't misassign value. You know, we put value on certain individuals, positions, things like that. But the reality is that oftentimes what we would notice the most is if those individuals who serve and kind of quietly do their thing, if those things stop happening, if they quit doing their part, we might feel it in a lot more um, intense way. And so really, in the church, when we see the church talked about, and this idea of different parts and the value placed on them, we get this great explanation of how it works and how we should view it. And this helps because we've got to work to appreciate and value each other. 1 Corinthians 12, this is a great description of this human body metaphor and how it works and how we're supposed to look at it. This is how it goes, starting verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, right? We've been baptized in the same water baptism. We're connected. Verse 14, he goes on to say, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it, or it does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put, listen, God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't, or the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Understanding sounds silly to think about, you know. If the body was all one part, how silly that would be. I think I've seen some far side cartoons that reflected that. But it is kind of weird, you know. If you're just the nose, it'd be hard to get anything done. And so it's silly to think about, but sometimes that's how we look at ourselves and the church, the body of Christ. We think, I don't matter, I don't have anything to offer, or that person is so important and so valuable. The truth is that the body's made up of different parts, and God himself puts them in place. And so we need to get our perspective changed. We need to learn to value each other. Instead of just focusing on the things that irritate us, right, the things that we value particularly, but shift our attitudes 
in order to value each other, we've got to work to appreciate each other, I think. And there's lots of teaching on how to appreciate each other. And sometimes we need to learn how not to think and to look at ourselves and at each other when we relate. Ephesians 4.25 says it this way. So stop telling lies about each other, right? Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Why is it so easy for us to gravitate towards the things that irritate us in others? Why is it so easy for us to see the things we don't like or that are offensive to us or we find as faults and focus on those things? I don't know. It's part of our nature, I guess. It's part of what we struggle with, to, to see the good, to see the value in others, to appreciate one another. I think we've got to work pretty hard at it. I know that Jesus, as, uh, um, as the head of the church and God who is called our father in scripture, I mean, he wants us to get along. He wants us to find a way to get along, to give and show the grace and mercy and forgiveness that we need to so that the offenses don't stick in us and cause problems and division. And so we have a lot of instructions on that. I think in a practical way, I had a pastor years ago teach this in relation to relationships. He said, each person that you have a relationship with or that you know, you have two buckets, okay, that represent them. One is a positive bucket. It's things that you appreciate about them, that you see as uh, good things. (laughs) And you have a negative bucket and that represents the things that irritate you and you're offended by and that bother you. And he said, you have uh, rocks. As things happen to you, in between you, you take those things and they're represented by rocks and you put them in a bucket. And the one that you choose to put the most rocks in is going to dictate the nature of your relationship. Whether you see them as a problem, as an irritant, as an offense, or whether you appreciate who they are and what they bring to the table. You know, sometimes it's hard to see the good things especially when we're stressed out, especially when there's a lot going on in our lives and we're under pressure, it can be hard to see the good. And so we have to work at it. Again, it takes maturity to grow in that. Um, There was a teacher, I think a very smart teacher, was coming up on Christmas break and the kids were getting a little restless and irritated with each other. There were fights breaking out, you know, all this problem. So she had them all get in the room one day and she gave them an exercise, take two sheets of paper and write down the names of all your classmates. Leave a blank space between every name. And then she said, go and write something you appreciate about each one of them in the blank that you left underneath their name. And she collected those. And over the weekend, she made a sheet for each student, right? Now, we can play games and be insincere and just try to, but we can also learn to see the things that are good in others, the things that we appreciate in each other. I think having an optimistic view of the world and of other people is absolutely essential for us to be able to get along with others. The more we allow frustration, irritation to grow in us, the more we walk in unforgiveness, like we talked about last series, those things really affect our ability to relate to others. Again, we've got to grow in spiritual maturity. And as we grow, we're going to find it easier to maintain relationships over a period of time, even with people that aren't like us. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, says these encouraging words. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? 
Are your hearts, are any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. The strong connection that we have with each other really matters. We aren't just people that attend a church. You know, in a church like this, you live in a community a while, you might look across the room on any given Sunday and see somebody that you have been enemies with, somebody that has fought with you, has has harmed you or sought to harm you. You might've gone to school with them. (laughs) You might remember what they were like in junior high. You know, they weren't very nice. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of issues we have. There's a lot of things that divide us and separate us. And yet Jesus has called us We're going to put our trust in him and follow him to grow, to mature so that we can love each other the way Jesus loved us. I find that all of this takes a pretty strong commitment. The the more committed I am to Jesus and following him, the more likely I am to grow in maturity. And so it's interesting as we um, hold church in our era, a lot of people argue that commitment is not very strong. Our society and our culture is losing the ability to commit to things. You know, they say we used to have membership for our churches. People were members. If they moved somewhere, they had to transfer membership. You know, being a part of a church was a big deal. And then some people argue, well, it was more like a country club. You know, it didn't really, right? So we got all these. But the the issue is we still, we, we may not have membership anymore as much, but we need to still have commitment. Commitment is what grows me. It's how you grow. And the way you and I grow And our commitment to this, to love each other, to walk in love with each other, to grow those relationships, it takes commitment. This is my church. It's composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I help fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service, if I, who make it what it is, am filled with these things. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I hope as we go through this series that you and I, each week, right, we have opportunities to commit ourselves to God, to commit ourselves to this thing that Jesus started, that he runs, and that admittedly is very difficult. We would commit ourselves to love each other just as Jesus loves us. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for calling us not to an easy path, not to a comfortable path, but a hard one that demands of us that we grow, that we work in our lives to surrender ourselves more to you, to take on and grow in humility, to grow in surrender so that we can live by your spirit and so that we can really grow to represent you in the world we live in. Our world needs to see you at work. And so I pray you would 
they would be able to see you at work in and through us in this church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.